Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This guy is a machine. All he does is work out and pick winners. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Oregon's down by 12. They're on the 45-yard line with no timeouts. Oregon's got an all-American field goal kicker. Why didn't somebody tell me? Chicago Sports Betting Show. Touchdown, Ohio State. There are some folks who are celebrating and others who are saying, you've got to be kidding. You kind of know what I'm thinking about. Over or under? Under would be the key word. Hello? Bet with an edge. He'd find out the kind of inside stuff nobody else knew, and that's what he put his money on. He even figured out the different bounce you got off the different kinds of wood they used on college basketball courts, you know? Early odds with Joe Ostrowski. A friend of mine is very smart, said I've been very lucky with gambling. I've never won. Saturday mornings on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. Thanks for starting your day with early odds. I know plenty of you out and about already today. Looks like we're going to crack 80, so make sure you enjoy the outstanding day for sports, the Preakness. It's moving day at the PGA Championship. Leicester against Strasburg. Sox and Jays this afternoon. Bucks and Raptors tonight, just to name a few of the events. A friend of the show will break down the horses in about 15 minutes, and one of the best guests that we've had on early odds in just a moment. Nothing to really update on the legalization of sports betting in Illinois. We're just getting closer and closer to that deadline. The state has 13 days to get this done, two weeks from yesterday. So we move to the hardwood. An excellent follow, especially if you bet the NBA, NFL, or tennis, is Whale Capper on Twitter, at Whale underscore Capper. One of my favorite sports betting podcasts out there, the Deep Dive Podcast, because they stretch their legs a little bit in the non-football season, bring on some great guests to discuss various gambling theories that are out there. And well, before we jump into the playoff games this weekend, I want to talk a little bit about process. And for those that follow you on Twitter know you're into modeling to help you land on a side or a total just thinking back, when did you realize this was the best route to go to help you out? Ooh, good question. Uh, 2014 NFL season, I had had a little bit of success up until about like halfway through the season, but I was really like struggling with some of the emotional parts of betting. If you're just betting with your gut and you go on a heater, uh, you start to develop overconfidence. And then on the flip side, if you're on a cold streak, you just tend to want to go on tilt. I mean, you don't want to, but it just happens. Uh, And so the ups and downs of kind of betting with my gut was just not working for me. And I was like, I know statistics. I know probability theory well. I understand how to use an Excel spreadsheet. I'm just going to take a swing at this and see if I can develop a model for, for predicting the NFL scores. 
just having that as a tool in my toolbox, along with the other handicapping angles that are, you know, I was traditionally uh, employing, really was a perfect handshake. Because if you have, you know, a reference point like that, and it can just be as simple as decomposing the line in total to see, well, what score are they projecting here? Like once you have that down on paper and you have that frame of reference, it absolutely helps your handicap. And so I kind of got into it recognizing that, boy, if I have this tool and this frame of reference, it'll help me kind of, it just helped with consistency, really. You know, I wasn't necessarily going 7-1, and 8-0 as often, but it definitely kept me from going 0-8, and 1-7, and you know, on any given NFL weekend. And, and that was pretty powerful in just terms of kind of progressing and learning and growing as a better so that I wasn't falling into some of the traps and, and pitfalls that uh, that you fall into when you're just getting into this. And I know people are listening right now and saying, okay, cool, that helped him. I'd be interested in trying that, but I don't know where to start. Do you have any go-to research that is out there? Where do you begin? So there's not one way to do it. Your best bet is going to be to just use your imagination and take a swing at it with Excel. The very key kind of fundamentals that I kind of hold uh, at you know, my pillars, so to speak, as it comes to using sports models and handicapping. Number one, you're not going to ever invent a formula that predicts every score correctly, that gets every game correct, or that gives you a magical 60% win rate against the spread. Like that, There's no formula for that, and you're not going to figure it out. So don't go into the process thinking that that's going to be your outcome. You know, have reasonable goals when you start out. And really, you just want a well-centered kind of median, average, whatever you want to call it. You want a well-centered prediction uh, that you can then kind of tweak and modify as you need to if you get, you know, an injury happen. That's really the, the differentiating factor. You want to be able to kind of turn the knobs up and down as you get information that informs your handicap beyond just this team A is playing team B. That's number one key for me is like I want a well-centered prediction uh, and then I want to be able to apply adjustments to it to capture the fun, you know, some of the fundamentals that go into a handicap. Beyond that, you know, I would strongly recommend starting with something in Excel because most of us are relatively familiar with Excel. You get to the point where you realize I can do this a lot more efficiently, a lot faster if I'm using a platform like R or uh, Python if, if you're way up there. Um, but really all that's going to do is, is help you with efficiency. You know, you can do almost everything you need to do to come up with a reasonable model using Excel. And so that's a totally straightforward place to start. I have a couple of good articles that I wrote, uh, and once this goes live, I'll respond to your your stuff. So if people are interested, they can kind of read. I did a, like an experiment one summer when I was bored, like, hey, let's build a baseball model. And I kind of talked through a lot of the uh, kind of theory and the you know, probability theory and some of the, uh, the useful Excel or Google Sheets type of equations that you can utilize. But make it easy on yourself. You know, import the entire season schedule into an Excel sheet at the start so that you're not entering team names every day of who's playing who. Come up with a consistent database where, you know, the names are always the same, the team abbreviations are always the same, it's easy to update, you don't, you're not spending hours and hours every day trying to update your database and calculate your results. You want that stuff to be pretty easy, because if you make that tough on yourself, you're going to let it you get stale, and you're going to end up throwing it away, and you're never going to actually realize any results out of it. And so, you know, you really just want 
to build something uh, that you can get some results, test them, you know, evaluate the performance of it, make adjustments, and you know, and don't don't try to make it too complicated out of the gate, and don't don't expect that you're going to crack the magical code because there's people out there who have been doing this a hell of a lot longer than even I have. So it's tough. All right, very helpful. We're with Whale Capper on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. You're listening to Early Odds. And, well, what is the biggest difference between betting every day in the regular season and these playoffs? Oh, man, there's so many differences. It's impossible to really qualify them. But I use a heavy-duty numerical approach for the regular season, and that completely goes out the window when you get to the playoffs. And and that is entirely because you have a seven-game series in the playoffs where you know, you at least, so you at least have four games where the teams play each other you know, every other day. And the bookmakers are kind of stuck to their prior of, you know, they line game one. That informs everyone who's paying attention. This is, the, you know, the relative strength of these teams on this court. They have a second game on that same court where virtually nothing has changed except the outcome of game one. Now in game three, we switch venues, but it's still exactly the same two teams, exactly the same matchups. Uh, and so you have a, you know, relative stability of the spread in total. But at the same time, you look at the results and you, you, know, you, you can have uh, Golden State-Portland game one and game two. Great example. Game one, Golden State won by 20. Game two, they basically hung the exact same line. So there's information and clues you can kind of utilize uh, from game to game that you have to kind of be uh, you know, cognizant and aware of. Uh, and in the regular season where you're entirely trying to capture situational advantages, disadvantages, you're trying to utilize uh, information and who's playing and who's not, who's healthy, who's banged up, who is, uh, you know, on their third night of travel and in five nights. And you're trying to use small clues like that to inform, you know, performance is going to be as expected, worse than expected, better than expected. But in the playoffs, all of that goes out the window and you're really entirely trying to capture what worked, what didn't work the last time these two teams played. What will Coach A, who won the game, is he going to sit by and try to roll out the exact same approach for Game 2 and expect it to work again? What is Coach B going to do as far as adjustments? And you kind of do your best to guess, okay, Coach B is going to do this to adjust for you know what didn't work. And then you have to assess, okay, well, will those adjustments work or not? And great example for them, again, going back to Golden State Game 1 and Game 2, Game 1, Portland's defense was abominable. It was laughable and atrocious, and you know they gave Steph Curry wide-open looks at three, and you have to ask yourself, like, oh, man, Terry Stotts is definitely going to go back to the drawing board and try to make adjustments in Game 2 yeah. uh, to not let them get those looks. Problem was, that was fundamentally at the, in down to their DNA – that is the way they're, you know, they run their base defense. They sag their bigs. They do not catch up on screens in a way that they can ever really fix that problem, which means there really was no adjustment they could make on defense that was going to solve that. So if you're Terry Stotts and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, I can't go back to you know, the drawing board here. My team is what they are. So the only way I can counter and, and give us a chance to win is if we pick up the pace, if we space better and shoot, you know, get guys open looks from three uh, and try to outscore these guys. And so, you know, you kind of put the pieces together and you're like, oh, wow, 
Portland is going to try to come out firing. They're going to try to shoot a bunch of threes. You combine that with the idea of Golden State now, after all that confidence that comes with winning by 20 points in game one, thinking that, you know, the series is in their hands. Maybe they come out a little flat, a little less urgency. And that kind of combined those two together. And you're like, wow, Portland is underpriced on the money line for the first quarter and the first half of this game when they're going to roll out this offense-heavy approach and they're going to, you know, hit a flat uh, or just, just an under. Uh, you know, an underwhelmed, uh, you know, Warriors team in the first half of this game. Uh, and then you combine that with, okay, well, we're also going to see a relatively quick pace and some, you know, some more three-point shooting than we saw from them in, in game one, less tired legs than we had from them in game one. Combine all this in Portland, team total over made a ton of sense. The full game over made a ton of sense. And now you flip the venue and you go back to Portland for game three uh, on Saturday here. And, I got to tell you, I do not understand why they are not adjusting this total for the fact that this is going to be an offensive, just an explosion. Like, I fully expected to wake up this morning and see some number like, you know, 228 or something like that. And the fact that they're still giving you so much room to bet the over in this game is, is very surprising to me. I do not think that there is a defensive adjustment that the Trailblazers can make to win this game by defense, uh, which means they absolutely have to just use the energy of the home crowd and, you know, shoot a little bit better at home and try to outscore these guys. So, you know, I think you're looking at like a, you know, 120 to 118 type of game here, and it could go either way. So I'm probably going to stay away from the side, uh, but I absolutely love the over in this one. Do you think the two and a half Blazers favored by two and a half is the right number or fair number? Because we know as we inch closer and closer to this game tonight, a lot of the money is going to be all Warriors. It surely is. And <laughs> there's, <laughs> I like Portland to pick up a win at home. I don't think this is a sweep. I think you're talking about a gentleman sweep in this series. Uh, game three makes the most sense, uh, having the energy of the home crowd. And just in general, the, the Blazers played dang well uh, in, uh, you know, in the old Rose Garden. Um, the Moda Center now. Anyway, they play very well at home. Uh, I would expect them to shoot well. I would expect them to be competitive. But when a game is this close and there's this much expected lopsided action on the part of the road dog, uh, I don't tend to get involved in the side pregame. I look more for opportunities to uh, get a money line on both sides during the course of the game both of these teams can score in huge runs you saw it with you know game two uh you know 15 16 on you know unanswered points from golden state is not out of the question portland we know also can get on an absolute heater they've shown that a bunch in these playoffs uh so rather than bet aside in the pregame here when you have a game that's expected to come down to the wire and it's going to be pretty tight i would much prefer to look for opportunities in game to get uh to buy some value on whoever is at the, the losing end of, of a given hot streak. Oh, the books had to get hammered in game two when the Warriors are down 15 with the in-game bets, I would think, from the public. Uh, let's, oh, yeah, time. they had to. Let's go to the Eastern Conference. This is a little bit difficult. Uh, Raptors-Bucks tomorrow night. Now, we're recording this before we have a line for game number three. Any general thoughts as this series shifts to Toronto? Yeah, so let's, uh, you know, we're, we're looking a little bit crystal ball into the future, but uh, we'll do so under the auspice that um, game two plays out somewhat according to script. 
where the Bucks win and take a 2 nothing lead uh, up north. The Raptors do not match up well offensively against this Bucks defense. The Bucks can protect the rim exceptionally well, uh, and that very, very much limits Toronto's plan B when their shooting go, goes cold. Toronto can, has put up impressive offensive numbers all season, but if you watch their games, if you look at their performance, they are streaky as can be when it comes to shooting the ball. And there will be times during this game, during every game, uh, where their shooting goes cold. And when that happens, their plan B is attack the rim. And when you know, you're going up against the Bucks team that can defend against the rim so well, uh, that makes things extremely difficult to score, which I think puts an emphasis on the Raptors to try to get it done with defense. I think the under is going to be uh, a nice look. I would expect uh, with a 2 nothing lead on the road, uh, the Bucks are probably going to be about a three-point underdog, uh, to maybe three-and-a-half to the Raptors. There will be some value to back the Raptors, especially in the first half of this game as you see them make some adjustments to try to get better looks uh, at home. Uh, again, all this kind of conditional on them having a, a, a rough performance offensively in Game 2, there probably will be some value and some opportunities to look for uh, for the Raptors in the first quarter, first half, as far as the spread value, money line value. And then uh, if you're like me and you're ha- you have some nice uh, futures out there on the Raptors, you're just praying that they don't collapse in, in the second half like we saw in Game 1. All right, best of luck with those. So in the Western Conference, look to the over. Eastern Conference, look to the under. Well, we're out of time, but we're going to have to do this again with with the NFL. Talk some win totals and some uh, NFL futures with you, all right? Oh, I can't wait. It's a long summer, but the NFL is going to be here as soon as we know it. Yeah, and everybody out there, make sure you subscribe to the Deep Dive Podcast. Follow Whale on Twitter at Whale underscore Capper. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Now, we spoke with my next guest the morning of the Derby, and I hope by now he's uh, completely recovered from the maximum security debacle that went on at the Derby. His name Dwayne Colucci, assistant race and sports manager at the Rampart Casino in Vegas, and he knows his horses. He's on Twitter at NYBookieDwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much, Joe. Pleasure to be on. How are you doing? You know, I'm excited for the Preakness, of course. The people want to hear some of your knowledge here, but it's a bit of a bummer that already at the Preakness that the Triple Crown shut down? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, it was a big disappointment to have uh, maximum security taken down. It was weird circumstances, too. The, the inquiry sign wasn't put up until two jockeys claimed foul, and then the stewards jumped on board. As it got dragged through the mud, I don't want to use, a, you know, a playoff words. You knew something was going to happen, Joe. 20 minutes, 22 minutes. You could see the panic on Jason Service, the trainer of Maximum Security's face, uh, Luis Saez, the jockey, and just not a good thing for the sport when we just went through a whole major catastrophe with PETA at Santa Anita. So now you take down the winner of the Kentucky Derby, something not done in 145 years, and then to follow up, Bill Matsos, the winner of the race, Country House, he's sick. So now we have no triple crown attempt. It definitely hurts Handel out here in Las Vegas as a bookmaker, from my point of view. And it's going to hurt Handel at Pimlico and definitely further down the line at Belmont Park for the Belmont Stakes. But we're still going to run the 144th Preakness today. So which horses are you looking at as possible winners here? 
Well, there's a wide open field, Joe. You know, now with the defection of maximum security and country house, the one-two finishers in the Derby, they were pretty far ahead of most of the other competition, especially maximum security. You definitely have to look at Bob Baffert's horse, uh, Improbable. He's going to be the favorite, without a doubt, Joe. He had a fifth-place finish in the Kentucky Derby, was moved up into the Superfecta because of the DQ, and he ran a pretty solid race. He was behind some horses, and he had to slow down multiple times because of the positioning. We know the trouble you could get into in the field of the Kentucky Derby, 20 horses. He ran pretty respectable. You know, it was a fifth-place finish. He lost by about three-and-a-half lengths. You get the services of Mike Smith, who I am very fond of in big-money races, so I think he has an excellent chance. Also, I like uh, I like a long shot. I like Bourbon War, trained by Mark Henning. He hasn't run since the Florida Derby. He was behind maximum security in that race. He ran a respectable fourth. And you get the services of Irad Ortiz, who rode improbable in the last race. So you got a switch of riders here. Mike Smith goes on to improbable. Irad Ortiz, who leads the country in wins and earnings currently, is now on Bourbon War, who is trained by Mark Henning. So I like his chances a little. And it's going to be interesting to see how War of Will, the horse that was impeded by maximum security, he's stuck on the rail again. You get Tyler Gaffalione, Mark Cassie, and, you know, the whole problem with this horse, Joe, he needs to settle down and calm down. His last two races, he was very rank as a racehorse, running up on the heels of other horses, hard to control for the rider. And you compile that with uh, an up-and-coming rider like Tyler Gaffalione, who's only on his second major uh, Triple Crown race. It's going to be difficult to uh, see how he handles the ride and handles the horse, so... Definitely, I think Tyler is capable. He's a great rider on the Florida circuit. The horse is training beautifully into the race. So I believe those are the top three contenders. All right, coming off Country House, they're naturally going to wonder, okay, is is there a real long shot? Not just uh, Bourbon War, but uh, even a number higher than that that could hit the board. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Joe, you're, you're dealing now with the race that the two favorites defected. You also have uh, the Baffert contingency is now, it was three, now it's down to one. You know, he only has improbable. Uh, a horse like Bodie Express, he was 20 to one. He ran a good second to maximum security in the Florida Derby, actually finished ahead of Bourbon War in that race. And then he was uh, prominent in the Kentucky Derby. He showed some decent speed. He had a rough trip as well. He was taken up at about the 516th. You know, he was placed up through the disqualification because, as we addressed, maximum security was taken all the way down to about 18th. But uh, you get the services of John Velasquez. He's a legend when it comes to jockeys, and he is definitely the forefather and the master. So, so to get his services, it's a massive upgrade from Chris Landeros, who rode him in the last race. So you have a horse like that at 20 to 1. He definitely could hit the board and make some uh, noise. Also, Signal Man, he has an outside chance to close and get a piece. This is a horse he likes to sit back off the pace. And if these horses, with the form a little off from the Kentucky Derby, you kind of knew maximum security was going to have to lead and be the horse to catch. In a race like this, sometimes you're going to have multiple horses going for the lead, thinking that they could just steal the race on the front end. This race is shorter than the Kentucky Derby. It's a mile and three sixteenths as opposed to the Derby, the classic mile and a quarter distance. So Signal Man, definitely, if the pace gets hot, he'll be looking to pick up the pieces late. 
He's third off the layoff, another horse training very well. And you get the services of Brian Hernandez, who's not a bad rider at all. So this thing is completely wide open. You're right, this 13-horse race can go with anyone. But Dwayne Colucci says the top three, improbable bourbon war and war of will. Now, Dwayne, we wish the listeners good luck, and, of course, you at the window today. Yeah, thank you so much, and you as well, Joe. Definitely get down, and uh, let's hope Bourbon War could get us some uh, price here in the Preakness. Dwayne Colucci, the assistant race and sports manager at the Rampart Casino, my favorite New Yorker. And Whale Capper also joined me. That's a conversation you might want to go back to if you're interested in learning how to model games. The podcast posted on 670thescore.com, the radio.com app, and your preferred platform. So subscribe there. Whale said he's going to add links to his articles that he mentioned during our conversation to the tweet of this podcast. I'm on Twitter at Joe0670 at Joe0670. Night shows this upcoming week on Thursday and Friday. Inside the Clubhouse is next on The Score. Best of luck, everybody. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.